welcome to another episode of The Playlist Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Mike D'Angelo, and on this episode, my co-host Brian Farver and I got to sit down with writer-producer Michael Waldron, who wrote on Loki, uh, the upcoming Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, Rick and Morty, uh, the upcoming Kevin Feige-produced Star Wars film. So there was a lot to cover, and we got to chat with Michael about all of those projects, and somehow even more that he has his hands in, like the upcoming pro wrestling drama, Heels, that's coming to star soon. I'll let you hear every bit of that conversation in a minute, but before we get to our chat, I've got to tell you that the Playlist Podcast is part of the Playlist Podcast Network, which includes Be Real, Deep Focus, Fourth Wall, and more. It can be heard on iTunes, Anchor FM, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and now Spotify. You can go ahead and follow us on iTunes, and you'll get this podcast as well as our other shows regularly. Be sure to subscribe and drop us a comment or a rating, and as always, thank you for listening. Now, without further delay, our chat with the very busy and very talented Michael Waldron. Welcome to the Playlist Podcast to discuss what was probably a pretty uneventful year for you, or maybe two years. Um, but either way, I know you're probably not busy at all. So that, just thanks for stopping by and, you know, whatever. Glad to, glad to be here. <laughs> so let's start out by talking about Loki. First of all, have you even been able to like sit back and be like, wow, this is uh, this is doing well or think about it at all? Or are you just like, I got to do the, all this stuff for Doctor Strange or Star Wars or whatever the heck it is? I, I guess maybe a little bit of both. I, I mean, yeah, it, it's funny because so much of the show was I wrote two years ago yeah. in, in, 20, in 2019. So it's like in a lot of ways you get to kind of watch it as a fan uh, and 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 be like oh yeah we did a good job uh <laughs> and so and so that's that's fun i mean yeah it's been the six week process of the show coming out was a, a really amazing immersive experience uh just just getting i i really enjoyed you know listening all, all the movie and tv show podcasts and websites that i just consume as a fan suddenly we're talking about something that i that i worked on so it's like that's just cool that's the shit that i'd be reading regardless uh, so so it was great. And then I, I disappeared. I, I went off on vacation with my wife over the last two weeks on a, on a long delayed honeymoon and kind of like went underground a little bit uh, as the finale came out and, and all that. But it, but it, yeah, it's, it's cool. It's, it seems like it was well received and I'm, and I'm glad about that. Yeah. And, and since we can talk about spoilers now, that the season is out. Yes. Uh, when you jumped on to Loki, did you have the, the structure of the season laid out already did Kate already come in and kind of pitch her version? Where were like, were there any mandated points by Marvel? Like, where was it at when you came in? It was, no, where, where it was at was, I mean, I guess I, I first started pitching on it right at the end of 2018. And Marvel, you know, they, they had, the big idea was Loki in the TVA, which is a big idea. I mean, that, mm-hmm. that, was, <laughs> that, that was the heartbeat of the show. They had already cracked and they, they'd really had a lot of great ideas for maybe how that could play out. And, and then, you know, I, yeah, I came in and, and I, I really came in with a strong sort of episodic perspective of just, I want each episode to f- sort of stand on its own. Here's, you know, six chapters that this could potentially be. And and actually by and large, you know, that, that's pretty much what the show became. Like in the writer's room over the first three weeks, we said, all right, let's not worry about the, the time travel shit. <laughs> that, that's going to that's going to kill all of us. We know, we know it's going to take time to figure out all that. Let's just worry about this emotional 
the emotional thrust of this story. And so we focused on that blueprint over the first three weeks and, and really laid out the six episodes generally in exactly what they became, you know, that it's like episode two is kind of the police work episode. Episode three is Loki and Sylvie crossing this apocalypse. Episode four is the conspiracy comes undone. Episode five is in the void. Like we, we knew we were going and then it was like, all right, now the devil's going to be in the details of this thing. That was in the top of 2019. And, and we probably, we worked for kind of a stand 20 weeks, standard writer's room amount of time. And then right around the end of that, as we had good first drafts of everything, that was right around when Kate came on. And it was really excellent timing because A, she she had, you know, her own set of amazing ideas for what the show could be. And she also represented fresh eyes. <laughs> we were all really uh, thick in the soup and she had a little bit of a outside perspective initially, which was helpful as we moved into the really most important round of revisions on everything. Were there any big changes that, that, that were made when she came on board or was it still like everybody was on the same page and working towards whittling it down? I mean, I, I certainly there were big changes. It's, you know, she came on at a time when we were all looking at it saying, all right, we got first drafts of everything. <laughs> what's <laughs> working? What's what's not? You know, digging into the dogma of the TVA, the, you know, the the idea that that mythology of the timekeepers and everything, really figuring out what is the nature of that conspiracy. Uh, the the idea that everybody who works there is a variant. I think that was a thing that came as Kate came on board as we all started our conversations. That obviously was a very, very important, you know, hook of where the show goes. Kind of touching on some of those those characters. I mean, there's a lot of them that made a, a really big splash, you know, Mobius and, and Sylvie. And I know a lot of people are talking about Jonathan Majors, you know, he who remains or Kang. And some people are expecting him to be the next big, you know, phase wide villain like Thanos. And I guess my question is, was this character always a part of the show or was he a late addition? No, he was, I mean, very early on, it, it was like, I was gunning for this should be Kang. Because, because it's like, it was like, well, who's who's the man behind the curtain? And in the comics, that's this character of he who remains. And, it, and as you delve into that, you just... You know, I saw the opportunities and, our, and our, our, our whole team saw the opportunities for, you know, that character really probably seems to have a lot in common with Immortus in a way with that version of Kang and, and these mythologies seem to be kind of dovetailing. It just felt like an oppor- an exciting opportunity to, you know, to make our show that much more important within the MCU. And, you know, we, we realized, I think, early on that if you're making a time travel show, at least the MCU, you're actually just making a multiverse show. You know, it, it was like, this is the same thing. What the TVA is doing is not preventing time travel they're preventing a multiverse. That's, mm-hmm. you know, that, that's, that's what's dangerous. And so, yeah, that, you know, we, we just, we saw that opportunity to, to fold, fold that guy in there. And, you know, luckily as, as they always are, the, the powers that be at Marvel were, were excited about it. And it's just like, you know, if we had a good reason to do something like that, they stood behind it. Do you think uh, his role in the MCU is going to eventually be Thanos level big or, are people thinking too small right now? Like, what do you think about that? <laughs> I mean, he's a, you know, he's a hell of an actor, hell of a performer. I don't know. Yes. You, you heard him in the show. Wait, wait till you meet, you think I'm evil. Wait till you meet my variants. So uh, we'll, we'll see. 
Yeah, awesome. it's, it's one of those things where you have not only just like the opportunity to make, you know, someone Thanos level uh, as far as a villain, but you get to make multiple versions that are all, all their own things. So that's really interesting. Yeah. The exciting thing about getting to, I guess, originate that character on the page in the MCU was sort of creating a totally different energy than what Thanos is, which is very measured principled uh almost monk-like in his uh <laughs> in his evil aspirations and it, and obviously he who remains it's, it's a much more squirrely chaotic narcissistic presence and so that was a lot of fun yeah kind of focusing on characters like you really had the chance to introduce a lot of different uh, Loki characters to the MCU and a lot of them were huge hits. Do you know if there's plans to see any of them again? We're referring to specifically a personal favorite of ours, uh, classic Loki, Richard E. Grant. <laughs> Not talking about alligator Loki. Wow. <laughs> well, he's a close second. <laughs> um, you know, the, the, the cool thing about, uh, look, the void is still out there. Those, those characters are the characters that survived are still out there. Obviously, in a, in a vast multiverse, you never know. Mm-hmm. Pretty much the best you could hope for for an answer there, Brian. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. When you were in the writing phase for this and Doctor Strange, did you see the multiverse as like this opportunity to go anywhere, or did you like you're like, well, this could get really convoluted and confusing? How did you have to map it out? Did you have to make all the rules, or you're just kind of figuring well, it out as you go? I mean, I again, I think I guess a little bit of both. I, I think that yeah, you have to tread carefully anytime the story is expanding outward in such a big way you want to make sure that you're not alienating audiences that you're not robbing the, the overall story of stakes you know that, that it becomes so big and unwieldy that people don't quite know what they're supposed to care about and and so what i was always focused on on loki and on, on dr strange was just regardless of the crazy stuff that's happening what what's the emotional core of the story you know how do, how do you keep the humanity of it that's what's great about the marvel comics and i think that's where the mcu excels as well and so however crazily we we branch out and whether it's a multiverse whether it's into space whatever whatever it is I think you just got to keep finding that that core relatability. That's what will make people care and and make uh, it digestible to my grandfather who doesn't really, who might not know what the multiverse is. Uh, and one of the things that popped into my head when you're watching the last episode, obviously compared to all the other shows, this ends on such a cliffhanger. So at what point did you know this season two was happening? And did you have a more definitive ending in mind at any point before that? And there were, you know, the, the endings of these things are always sort of in, in flux. So there were, there were many different versions. It was always important to me to tell a complete story, which I think we did. And we always knew we wanted to propel Loki forward into the MCU. That in, that in fact, that almost felt like the most subversive ending, to not kill Loki for once. <laughs> uh, and, and to, you know, it's like, no, this guy's story is going to continue. And and then, you know, later on in the process, the stars align. We're going to be fortunate enough to do a season two. And that's when you could make the choices to do kind of that specific, you know, very TV, great cliffhanger. So, but but I, by and large, we always knew that we wanted to launch Loki forward in the MCU beyond just this season. And are you coming back for that season or are you just like too many projects, man? <laughs> uh you know, I've, I've, I've got a lot going on. I, I love Loki. We'll, 
We'll see. Fair enough. When you're you know working on these Marvel projects, like how much are you having to check in on other films like Spider-Man No Way Home? Like were you consulted at all for that film? Yeah, I mean, you your producing teams are constantly communicating with those producing teams to make sure that you're not, <laughs> you know, that you're not screwing each other up. I had the benefit on Spider-Man No Way Home. Chris McKenna and Eric Summers wrote that. I was their writer's PA on season five of Community. So like, nice. hmm. I can call McKenna and get bullied by him uh, <laughs> when, when, whenever I want, but also say, hey, what the hell are you guys doing? Let me, let me make sure I'm not ruining it. So there's, there's communication. And, and to the extent that, you know, I think the creative teams themselves, the filmmakers, the writers, whoever can become friendly, it, it certainly benefits the projects. I know there was a bit of a release date swap and, you know, Doctor Strange was supposed to come out first, but now Spider-Man will hit theaters first. We know Doctor Strange is confirmed in Spider-Man No Way Home. Just curious, like, were these sudden changes that had to be made because of the release date swap or Doctor Strange? Like, how did that affect the story? I mean, there's just so many moving parts. I'm just curious, like, how you dealt with all that. Also, the guy with the gun is in view of the camera, so you can tell me. <laughs> I, I, would, I would just say in 20, 2020 was a chaotic year for many, <laughs> many, many years of this. So that those sorts of things just felt like, sure, why, why the hell not? Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, yeah. So you, you, you roll with the punches. But, but and you guys know this, and, and I've said it many times before, with, with Marvel, the, the ethos really is make each movie each show stand on its own as its own great story that hopefully, even if you've never seen anything in the MCU and maybe if you never saw anything again, you'd still sit down and watch that and really fall in love with it. So, so it's like, yeah, you know, you're, you're beholden to what came before what's coming after a little bit, but you also get the benefit of getting to work in a vacuum a little. So when you're working with these actors that have such ownership over the roles that they play, like Tom, like Benedict, do you invite them to to like collaborate at all while in the writing process? Or is that like too many cooks in the kitchen at that point? No, totally. I mean, God, Tom, Tom was very involved with Loki or, you know, early on, as soon as we had a draft of the pilot, he was reading and, and he and I were having meals together, shaping it. I mean, he, he helped me so much in just finding the voice of the character. I'm a guy from the Southeast of, you know, the United States. It's like a couple of times he's like, I don't know if Loki would say this. <laughs> <laughs> a little more like me. Yeah. It's such a collaboration. And then all the, all the way through the, these guys, they know the characters better than we ever could because they originated them, Benedict as as well. But it was such a collaboration with Benedict on set every day because I, I was there in London for, for all of Doctor Strange. And, you know, that was such a pleasure work, working with him, working with, with Lizzie and that whole cast. Just how can we make these scenes as good as they can possibly be? And how, how can we make sure that we're staying true to all the amazing years of work these guys have put in building these characters? I don't know. Maybe maybe Tom would slip in a y'all here and there. <laughs> I would write. I wrote it in. I'd, I'd write it in. <laughs> there's, I mean, for sure, there's an offbeat vibe uh, throughout Loki that seems pretty consistent with the work you've done on uh, like Rick and Morty. I mean, what was that transition like going from that particular world of animated you know, mayhem to Loki and then into the confines of the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Like how much freedom did you have to bring your own style to the MCU? 
I had so much freedom. I mean, nice. look, you know, look, look at, look at episode one, that there's the meat of that episode is a 15 page dialogue scene, which is, that's my favorite stuff to write. And I couldn't believe when I turned it in, they were like, this is great. What about, this should be, there should be more, you know? And that, they, that, I think that's what they were excited about, you know, with, with my skill set and with Rick and Morty, you know, I, I, obviously the science fiction of it all helps, you know, your brain is, that muscle is, is really, <laughs> you know, uh, chiseled from working on Rick and Morty. But I think it was, you know, Harmon always preaches accelerated storytelling accelerate the plot but slow down for the character moments and that was what i tried to do in in loki was i i tried to really you know and, and we tried to move through a lot of story over the course of six episodes I, th- I think it would have been easy to hunt the variant for six episodes but it was like no you know let's let's meet the tva or, or let's meet sylvie at the end of episode two let's kill the timekeepers in episode four like, let's just, let's go, let's not leave stuff on the table. Let's get to the fun stuff and then find the next thing that's fun after it. And, and so that, that was a thing that I, that I think I carried from just the pacing of animation and especially a show as, as frenetic as Rick and Morty. Having been drawn into the world of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, like how has that felt? And I guess kind of on a sidebar to that, like are there any properties you'd love to dip your toes into? And I'm 100% referring to Howard the Duck. (laughs) It's been a pleasure and a dream come true, man. I mean, I feel like the luckiest guy in the world working on this stuff and working with these filmmakers, these, these actors and everything, you know, and just to see the response, people care. It's the stuff that I know if I was a little kid, I would be losing my mind, dressing up, watching, you know, it's like, it'd be the stuff making me want to grow up and write movies. And so to be a part of that is really cool. And especially at a time when, when we're kind of taking the baton a little bit from, you know, the infinity saga, and here we are in phase four, and it's like, all right, you know, can we run it back after a very successful, you know, for first 10 years, what, what's next? I, I like that challenge. And yeah, I mean, you know, what properties I like doing stuff that's unexpected, uh, you know, finding an unexpected emotionality and humanity and quality, whatever, in, in a property that, that maybe you wouldn't expect. And, and so, but I'm also, I also like Star Wars. So I'm happy to be <laughs> working on that little thing. Speaking of that, uh, not only are you living the dream I just, over at Marvel, I just, I just segue. You just messed it up. You just messed uh. it up. <laughs> we know you're doing the living the dream with Marvel. You're also doing obviously Kevin Feige Star Wars film. Have you started? You know, really getting through the drafts on that one. And also, is it a completely original idea? Does it incorporate any existing characters that you can say? It incorporates space. <laughs> I've heard of that. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> took some time to crack that mm-hmm. and is star wars just one of the multiverses of the marvel universe felt like <laughs> through. uh no i mean it's again i i've been very wrapped up in dr strange mm-hmm. was there and then all of loki dr strange you know we're obviously in post on that and everything and and so bit by bit i'm i'm just excited to be be working with those guys and and yeah I see how it is. Yeah. No, you can't say much about it, but what's like your personal relationship with Star Wars and like, what's it meant to you? And if you had to pick, what are your top three Star Wars films outside of the Christmas special, of course? (laughs) I mean, what has it meant to me? Uh, I mean, I I wore out the VHS tape. 
tapes, obviously. I mean, you know, it's as a kid, I was, it was just a nonstop loop of sitting in my room watching Star Wars straight into Indiana Jones, back to Star Wars just over and over and over again, and which is kind of almost a derivative set of movies to love, but, but, <laughs> it, but it was. And so, so yeah, I mean, it, it informed, I think, so much of the early stories I told myself was just with my action figures, my, my G.I. Joes or my Star Wars action figures, just imagining uh, lightsaber battles and, and stuff and everything and, and you know, reading all the books the courtship of Princess Leia and being like, what is this? What is this book? of <laughs> like, stuff, like not quite understanding and just loving it, man. And so, yeah, I, I love, I love Star Wars. My favorite three. I mean, I, you know, Empire, Empire is number one for me. I mean, it's, it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be the original trilogy. It's, yeah. I think, I think, I think five, four, six. Okay. Five, four, Perhaps. six. Totally fair. Probably, I, I don't know, I, I, I switch, I guess I go back and forth on A New Hope and Jedi, because sir, as a kid, Jedi was my favorite by far, because I what I remember, my earliest Star Wars memory is Vader saving Luke. Like, I can't, I can't quite remember, like, the reveal, the moment I was like, wait, Vader's Luke's dad, what I remember is Vader saving Luke. Mm-hmm. And that ending is so good, that might give it number two, so I don't know, they go back and forth. Before we uh, before we let you go, I do want to touch on heels because I've seen the first four. For anyone who's not in the in the know about it, it's a it's about an independent pro wrestling company. You know, I, I grew up on pro wrestling, so I've even started to come back to it with some of these non WWE independent competitors that are starting to gain steam. So it seems like a good time to kind of root for an underground wrestling promotion. I really like what I'm seeing so far, but I guess what's your relationship to wrestling and and how did you come to that project? Was this your baby or did they approach you for it? Yeah, that, geez, that was my baby. The heels was the the script that started my career. And I, I guess when I wasn't watching Star Wars or, or indie, I was watching, it was annoying my parents watching wrestling. Same. Um, and I was taken with wrestling from the time I was a very little kid. That was my comic books. That, that, was, that was my like mythology that I was obsessed with. I think it's because it was serialized. I think mm-hmm. that's what I responded to because I, I grew up in the 90s. It's just like as a kid, you'd watch like cartoons, you'd watch Power Rangers, and they used to always bug me. What happened one week would not carry over into the next. And so it felt like there was no real character development, felt like there wasn't stakes, and that drove me crazy. Whereas in wrestling, if a guy turned bad one week, then that was the storyline next week. It was an ongoing story. And it's funny to look back and be like, well, that was just my, you know, my, my psychosis that eventually made me a writer uh, <laughs> even activated. So I, I loved wrestling so much. And when I was an intern on the very first season of Rick and Morty back in, I guess, 2013, I wrote heels kind of just as a fan of pro wrestling. They're there'd never been a show set in that world. I was watching a lot of Mad Men and I was like, I want to rip this off and, and try and do a one hour show and, or something more dramatic. And yeah, so that, that was the thing. And in that show, we, we got it set up at stars and, you know, a couple of years later, I ordered a writer's room and I ran that and, and we wrote a good chunk of the first season, but it just never quite came together casting wise and everything. And, and so it went on a shelf. And then two years later, when I was doing Loki, it came back together and we brought on the showrunner, Mike O'Malley alley and they you know so so i had to kind of like let my baby let him out of the nest or what i don't know what the metaphor is but it's amazing that it got made and and i'm really proud of it 
Yeah, I know Stephen Amell is a, a huge wrestling fan. Has yeah. he been really hands-on in the creative process at all, or did he come on just because he saw and he was like, "This is totally." I mean, he, he was he was so stoked. It's like so the stars just aligned that Arrow had ended. Stars wanted to to revive the show, and you know, it was right up his alley. And and it, and it's a, Stephen's amazing, and it's and it's a chance for him to you know really show what he can do in an even greater dramatic level than than I think what he got to do on Arrow. And he's a hell of an actor. Yeah, he's he's doing a great job so far. The first four, like I said, are, are really promising. But I don't want to keep you too long. I know you got to get going. Uh, I do want to thank you for for stopping by and talking about you know Marvel past, present, and future, and Star Wars and Heels, which it stars on August fifteenth. So thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, guys. This was great. Uh...